All right, Jeff Cohen, we are off on a new endeavor with the heart of sports, uh, doing a little digest midweek, somewhere in between when we hit the live show, preview what we'll have on the live show potentially during that. Um, first thing I guess we're going to have to do is come up with a name, right? We can't just call it the heart of sports. That that knocks off our main show, right? No, you have to come up with something else. I mean, I get, I've given you a bunch of different names. You've bounced some ideas off of me. I think maybe we should uh, let the listeners have a little chance to comment and tell us how bad all the names are that we suggested and maybe come up with a better one. Yeah, we'll let them suggest some too, and then maybe we'll narrow it down and throw a poll up on the Heart of Sports account, um, get a little interactive with people and come up with something. But we, we figured that nothing, this would... Nothing like a poll in the middle of a, a pandemic, huh? Poll during a pandemic. There's nothing uh-huh. better to do. But we figured that this would be good because sometimes, you know, it's a little long for us to go a week apart without talking sports. And things happen, and we don't want it to become stale, so we want to make sure we get to them, right? You got it. All right. Uh, I messaged you on Sunday night uh, asking Mm -hmm. if you were watching Lance, the documentary. We've been watching lots of documentaries lately. We watched The Last Dance, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, I was watching. You were not at the time, but you said you were going to get to it. Oh, I got to it. You got to it last night unexpectedly for how long it was. Yeah. So, yeah. So I got a I got a question for you as you watch this. How long did it take before your jaw dropped? Well, I mean, (laughs) at any any point after that, did did your jaw actually regain its normal form or did you just sit there with your mouth agape the whole time going, how do these people keep saying these are these are the most tone deaf group of individuals I've ever seen? Well, okay. the first thing was I still can't get over the fact that you can curse like this on TV. I don't know why. Is that make me old that I just didn't expect him to drop a bunch of F-bombs the second that they came in on the screen with him, like right away? Yeah, well, well, you know, I think you can watch it either way. So if, you know, if you're worried about little kids and you want to watch on the other channel, my, that's my, fine. My virgin ears with two children will not be able to handle said land. Yeah, I, no, I, I told I, you when, when I watched it, I got the sense that this was an effort to justify doping. That was just a feeling that I had didn't really change my opinion of Lance Armstrong. I know this will not surprise you. I watched the Tour de France like mm-hmm. every year. I just enjoyed watching it. I would that was I was in college. I would I would watch it and have a good time. Uh, I remember the rise of him. I remember that year where there were questions about him the year after they had the problems with the large scale doping on the tour. So I don't know that I was terribly surprised to find out that there was doping and cycling, but the, the lengths that they go to sort of say like, eh, it was okay. No big deal. It just surprised me a little bit. What was your take on what we saw? I was going to twist your word instead of, instead of it being, uh, an effort to legitimize doping. I think it was an effort to legitimize dopes. Oh. I, I just think that the, the community of cyclists are tone deaf I think that Lance Armstrong's parents are tone deaf. I think Lance Armstrong is beyond tone deaf. Yeah, his but, parents, you were not a fan of at all. Well, we all know my position on on a large number of sports uh, parents. Uh, this was amazing to, to see. Uh, first, it was... I don't know if I guess it was his stepdad, the the father that adopted him. So it's not his paternal father, but it's the father, the first father that adopted him. And the guy goes explaining why he's on the birth certificate. I don't know why we needed to know that, but sure. 
but his almost pride with explaining that, yeah, I, I, I might have done some stuff to him that you might not approve of, but look where it got him. Yeah, he wouldn't have gotten was, there without me. Like, was what? <laughs> really quite amazing to see the look of, of pride on his face as he said it. I mean, it was, did I read that wrong? I couldn't tell whether that was a cultural thing in terms of that was what parenting was. I mean, you always tell me I'm the young guy and I yeah. have a different time and stuff. So I don't know. That's just not what I'm familiar with with parenting. That wasn't how I was yeah, brought but, up with but my even parents. If, but even if that that was back then, which I don't necessarily think it was, um, at some point you become enlightened. You change with the times. You understand oh, the things you might have done different or did wrong and you might want to do differently if you had to do it over again. What comes out in, in a lot of the documentaries we're seeing, especially with sports figures, is the lack of understanding of of regret. There, There's a sense of weakness in saying that you regret things or you do it differently as opposed to a sense that that maybe you've grown as a person by understanding that. And, and the same thing came across kind of with his mom who had this tone deafness for, for cheating from basically encouraging or allowing the cheating to happen where he would enter into these triathlons at, at an age younger than was permissible. And then explaining it away, saying, yeah, I kind of understand why they have these age limits as if it was an insurance issue and a liability issue as opposed to, no, this is exactly what we don't want parents to do, is to put pressure on their children at a younger age than is necessary. So this kid was competing in, in high-profile competitions at an age that they that he shouldn't have been doing it with adults. I mean, this it wasn't like he was competing with kids that were a year young, a year older than him, and he just got in under the deadline. These were adults he was competing with. And then adults that he was going to, like, the Bahamas and, and wrecking the guys, the guy who was tasked with taking care of him while he was there, basically as a chaperone, he then basically trashes the moped that he gets, and the guy calls Lance's mom, and Lance's mom basically blows the guy off. And you could see that there was this sense of entitlement that he had from a very early age. In uh, oddly, in sports, you don't expect to see it in. Yeah, I again, I didn't expect anything else from him. That was just always the sense that I got. He came across in this documentary exactly how he seemed to me throughout the process. Not really remorseful for what he's done and it, it seems like in the next episode part two you're going to see where they talk to him about it and he says it's complicated he doesn't believe it's black Wait, what's and white. complicated the whole thing he about cheated? his his legacy his cheating versus what he did to raise awareness for cancer how do you balance those things uh, he does not view it as black and white as i did wrong therefore i was wrong it's i did wrong but there's all these other things so it's it's just not as easy to say that i did wrong I, you kind of likened it not the same but in the last dance documentary pippin didn't really want to admit that he was wrong for not going back in the game even though he admitted it at a different time that he was wrong it was really weird how the how these guys get on camera and they just don't want to take a step back from the position they had all along 
Yeah, but did Lance Armstrong not understand how he was going to come across? Unless there's been some very creative editing to this, there's no way that he's going to be able to claim this is taken out of context. See, he I was got just the, arrogant. I got the sense, though, that Lance Armstrong knows that that's who he is. Like, he all along seemed like that arrogant, self-confident, cocky guy who I'm going to do it. I mean, if you look at the interview that they did with his wife, where he said, I'm an easygoing guy, and she just made this face behind him like, <laughs> uh, who are you and what are you saying? Right. It just So it, I don't know that, that he's potentially rewriting his legacy as a nice guy. I think he's just writing his legacy is justifying his actions seems so to be you, so you his think he's just here. digging in that he's just decided look nobody's ever gonna like me so i'm just gonna dig in and be this unlike like a rest like, um, basically i'm put it in terms you would understand so like one of the bad guy wrestlers yeah he's gonna that, embrace his character if he's if you're gonna be the heel be the heel but he's a person he's not a character but he's not he's a cyborg <laughs> he's he's literally his whole life has been about it seems like this drive to have this and it seems like he's unable to let go of that piece to actually be the human that comes across in it it seemed very um i don't even know what the word is he was just he was so matter of fact about it. he's like yeah i did it of course i did it why wouldn't i do it it's just like how dare you question me for doing it is how i felt watching it but you know I'm always baffled when athletes and, and politicians and other just people in general walks of life don't understand when they've done something wrong or can't be contrite about it. There's a there's an added component to this that makes it even more baffling to me, which is this is a guy who came very close to losing his life. He had to battle a very difficult illness um, and came back from it. And yet instead of instead of saying, here was my opportunity to do something different he's digging in and making it worse for himself and quite frankly he's making it worse for the charity that that he took responsibility for if i if i'm somebody who was inclined to donate to a charity like that and i have in the past um after watching this as much as i'm going to want to donate to some cancer charity this is not the one that I'm going to be doing it for because he is such a difficult person to like or care about, which is almost impossible for somebody who's gone through what he went through. I mean, it really yeah. is. He is he's so unlikable despite you wanting to like him because of his his life story. Are you going to watch part two? Of course I am. <laughs> it's I didn't say it wasn't compelling. Uh, look, I, I love studying human nature. I find this all fascinating. I just don't understand how somebody thinks like this. Like, I don't understand the logic of why you would continue to take this position even now. Like, even when he tells the story about how people in a what was it a bar or a restaurant are heckling him and calling him a cheater, and that's when he decides to drop a, a bazillion f bombs. You know, he tells a story about he goes to the owner and says, hey, look, I'd like you to pay for their dinner. All I ask you to do is, is tell them that, that I'm paying for it and, and some comment. 
that would be considered something of class. But even the way he tells the yeah, story. He didn't do it in a classy makes, way. He did it exactly. in a rubbing your face way. Like, here, here, I'll buy all your drinks and make sure you know I did it. Type yeah, he basically did it so he could drop one more F-bomb is what yes. it is. So it was Pretty his much. way of saying F you back to them. Yes, that was his his way to do that. And it's it's funny because, you know, it, it kind of leads into the next thing we want to talk about with The Last Dance in terms of these guys trying to write the story the way that they want to be known. You have a problem with something that came out this week. What was a video from 2011 of Michael Jordan talking about how he didn't want on Isaiah on the dream team and your <laughs> thought is about how that potentially undermines some of the other things that are said in this documentary. Give me your take on the last dance, last dance. <laughs> okay. So first off, Michael Jordan was quite clear in the documentary during his interview. This isn't in the past. He has a chance to have the clarity of time. And yet during his many, many hours of sit down, he makes it clear I had nothing to do with Isaiah Thomas. There's this clear feud that has not subsided after all these years. And he says, I had nothing to do with him not being on the Dream Team. Okay. Now it comes out that he, on a podcast, I don't know if it was a podcast or radio show or whatever it was, about, what, eight, nine years ago, bragged that he did. That he talked to Rod Thorne and said, I'm not playing on the Dream Team if he is. Now, there's other things that are said in it, which I really don't understand, because he talks about Chuck, and they keep saying it's Chuck Daly, not Charles Barkley, that he kind of agreed. And I don't know how that was, because Chuck Daly was... Well, I then Chuck Daly has coach. coach and, and was, yeah, was was almost like a father figure to him. So I don't... Uh, and seemed like a, a classy guy. I mean, Chuck Daly was a revered coach. I mean, look how he handled even Dennis Rodman when he was on the Pistons. And so... I don't really understand how Michael Jordan takes this position now when it's clear that he did have something to do with it. And so then then the question becomes is you you opened the door to something I was concerned about with this documentary from the outset, which was Michael Jordan had some final say to some which of the is, things that are happening. Which is what seemed like it was his goal all along, that the last dance was basically his chance to get the last word. Mm -hmm. But these words that are coming out afterwards, be it the people with Horace Grant objecting to him being the leak to to Sam, to the reporter in Chicago right. or the reporter in Chicago saying well, some of these things he said just aren't true or Michael on tape himself contradicting what Michael on tape himself says now. Right. Did he give himself the last word or by trying to take the last word, did he open himself up himself up for a whole new round of criticism? I, I think he opened himself up to criticism, but what's unfortunately, I think, is he opened up everybody else who was involved in it to the criticism. And I don't blame them. I blame him for not being honest with them. Now, I guess you could say they could have found this, this tape because it was public, but he should have been honest because he's now put them in a position. If Michael Jordan didn't have this approval over this, It'd be one thing. But by having approval over it, it's cast a shadow over parts of this documentary as to whether it's a documentary film that can be perceived as objective. Because Michael Jordan has sat down and supposedly had final say over certain things. And I don't know what he had final say over what he didn't. But he sat down and told a fib. 
I mean, <laughs> it's it's pretty darn clear he did. And I don't know what he, I know. I always try to figure out what is it you have to gain when you're telling the lie. I'm not sure what he had to gain by telling the lie. Everybody, isn't it pretty much common knowledge that Isaiah Thomas wasn't on the team because of Michael Jordan? Like, why why would he fight this? Man. Well, sometimes it's it's the smallest hills that you choose to die on that end up being the biggest mountains. Mm-hmm. Like, there was no reason for him to do it. He just right. should have owned it and said, look, I didn't want to play with Isaiah. What's the and big we've deal all, with that? And we've Everybody all knows assumed that already. It. Well, see, that's it. We've all assumed it. But what I don't like, and I've heard this from several other shows, is especially the Chicago people all making apologies for this, saying, well, you know what? We all knew it before, so it's not a big deal. It's No, no, it's still a big deal. The fact that he lied is a big deal. You don't just blow it off and say it's not a story because we all know it's a lie. We know it's a lie. He had a chance to fess up to it, and he chose not to. And in a 10-hour documentary, it was a large focus, right? I mean, this was not a tiny part they of went, the story. They went back to it a few times. Do, right. Does it make you think differently about the whole thing you saw? or you? I mean, you already had those questions to start. Before we did our first interviews, before we saw the first show, mm-hmm. you raised the question about Jordan having final sign-off. I don't remember whether it was a conversation we had on the air on, on 610 ESPN or a conversation we had when we were prepping for the show. But you said to me all along, I don't know if I like Michael having the the last say on this. Yes, I was uncomfortable with it. And this is exactly why I was uncomfortable with it, because it puts it puts everybody else that's on that team that spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours putting this together. It causes people to question the hard work and objectivity they had because they let Michael have final say over certain things. And Michael chose to use that opportunity to give his own narration or his own story that he knew not to be true. All right, let's leave that there. I want to talk some baseball with you. Before we do it, on our live show Friday on 610 ESPN, we've got some special baseball stuff coming up. Jeff, I know you're excited for this one. We're going to talk a little Doc Halliday. And some hockey. Don't forget. All right. Well, hockey, but yeah. So I'll do the baseball plug first, and then you can yeah. do the hockey plug. All right. Uh, we're going to have MLB.com Phillies beat reporter Todd Zalecki joining us to talk about the state of baseball, which you and I will get into in a second with their salary proposal. And Are you loving his, the book? I am. Yeah. I am loving the book. His new book, Doc, The Life of Roy Halliday. Uh he doesn't shy away from anything at all in this no. book. Uh, mm-hmm. And it is and very And he talked to a lot of people. And it's, it always amazes me that He talked that to over like 100 talk. people yeah. for this book, uh-huh. including all, like every catcher that ever caught Roy. And that was yeah. fun to me to, to see that happen, uh, to, to wait, see wait, those you said stories. Every, you said every catcher. So I haven't gotten to that point. Did he talk to Tuffy Ghostwitch? Oh, you're going to have to go back and read it uh, for you. Remember, there was may not be every catch years ago. Tuffy Ghostwitch was a guy who was on Lakewood. He was an Australian guy. I, I think he was from Australia. And he, of course, you would know that in a spring training game and talked about what an experience it was. Catching. By the way, if you're not following Jeff and his ba- baseball fandom, he is keeping you updated on the Korean baseball organization. Aaron Altair. Did your jersey come yet? No, it did not yet. Well, it's in the states. It just hasn't made it to it hasn't made it to the Philadelphia area yet. But they are fifteen and three after Aaron Altair just hit another three run homer the other night. 
her last look at that look Mm -hmm. at that (laughs) you are just enjoying this a little too much but baseball (laughs) is trying to ruin the fun for you because you know how how dare you say to me that i'm enjoying any sport too much i'm taking pleasure out of the the fact that they would watch would watch shuffleboard or bocce ball if he had the opportunity but in my mind, this yeah. takes away the ability for you to critique those life choices of me because you have now no, made the same. No, be- no, because because we are in a unique time where we oh. have no other live sports, and this is baseball. This is so you a get sport. a pass. This is not a sport that's going to end up on the Ocho. This is so you, actually a legitimate top four sport. It just happens that it's being played outside of our country right now. So you get a pass on this. Okay, I see how it is. No, well, let's talk about. Let's talk about the guys who want to play in the States, or as if you listen to the radio, a battle of billionaires versus millionaires. Um, Jeff, are you enjoying the new Major League Baseball salary proposal that has gone out there? By the way, how is it that hockey comes up with a plan and releases it? NBA is doing stuff. Every detail of Major League Baseball's proposal leaks before it even like goes someplace. It's all out there. <laughs> and it's not good. I mean... I understand what the owners are trying to do, and it actually does create some. What it does, what what they're trying to do, is create a situation that it's fairer or more goes to the bottom portion of the people on the salary food chain. But what it actually does, and and the skeptic in me then says, was this a proposal where they were pitting players against players? So they're pitting the the majority of players that don't make most of the money against the few that make the most amount of money. Because, that's what it seems like. Yeah, and, and that's not good. And, and what concerns me about this is, is this particular labor discussion that always goes on between just baseball more than any other sport is so frustrating because right now I don't want to blame either side. What I want to do is I want both sides to realize this is a unique time. Can you just deal with whatever it is this season's going to be without all of this, without all of this strife? Because people are suffering and people don't want to hear either one of them. I'm not blaming either side. I'm blaming both sides because both sides just are acting the same way they would act if there was if this was just a general labor discussion or labor it's, strike. It seems like they're having next year's labor negotiation right now. Right. And what they what they should do is, is they should be getting together and saying, look, whatever it is we do this year will not be brought up in any labor discussions. We will not use this as a jumping off point. This will is a one year, one season unique thing. And that's it. This is not some place that you can dare say this is where we're starting from. You cannot say, well, but this is the way we did it. You have to be able to put this into its own bubble. And by the way, if they're going to do this, the one thing that I have a, a really big problem with the owners is, is that the majority of base professional baseball players aren't even addressed in this proposal. Does that surprise you, though? Isn't that the, the way the it always minor, is? The minor leaguers, the guys that that literally, you know, you want to talk a little bit, living paycheck to paycheck. Before we get to the minor leaguers, though, I have a former major leaguer question. Will okay. my favorite day still exist? Yeah. Will Bobby Bonilla get his million dollars? Uh, will well, you be, and your Bobby, of course he will. Will that be prorated, too? <laughs> no, that will not be prorated. So that, he's going to end up contract making more money than guys on the field, literally this Likely. year. 
Yeah, likely. because of that. Okay, now and, we can and, go and on. Look at the grin on your face as we're talking. You you just love this, Bobby. This once a year, Bobby. When is what is the actual date that Bobby Bonilla gets that check? Uh, Usually, July, you know. July first, I think. Okay, all right. It's Bobby Bonilla Day. So I have ready. to double. I have to double check that. And it doesn't make me happy. It's just the worst contract I've ever seen in the history of anything. It does surprise me, though. And I think that the point that baseball will probably get to is where, you know, why can't they put the money in like escrow or something where they they have a if if we sell so many tickets, then this happens. Like, it seems like this is just a first proposal for negotiating purposes. That's if I'm looking it. at it, we don't have that kind of time, though. They don't have time to start from the furthest possible positions. They have to be getting back in and having spring training part two. And they're not doing that. They're starting at a point that's only going to make it because you know what's going to happen now. The Players Association is going to come out with just as ridiculous proposal because they have to start. This is what happens with negotiations. You either have two people that are going to sit down and say, okay, we're each going to have to give up something. Both sides are going to be equally. The best settlement is always where both sides are equally unhappy. This is okay. why I brought my litigator to the show. That's so you right. can tell me how these things work. That's yeah. that's how it works. And and if you have two practical people sitting down and realizing that, then it gets done. And if you have two people that have tremendous egos, which is what we have here, you then have one side that's sitting and say, I'm going to give you the, the worst proposal that's good for us. And then they're going to come back. And that just creates more work. And it also creates more hostility which makes it harder to get it done. And all you're doing is wasting time getting to where you really need to get to. And as you mentioned, it doesn't address the majority of the players who are in the minor leagues and are potentially going to be left with nothing right now. And, and you know, there's a group of, of former players, uh, and I hope we get to talk to one in the next couple of weeks, that, that have gotten together to deal with this issue, the advocates for... The people do who don't have advocacy because a lot of these guys don't even have have agents. They are they, they they don't have a union in minor league baseball right now. So if they don't go and they don't play and they don't work out, they don't get paid. Period. And so what are they supposed and, to do? They have and they to, don't they get have, service time either. Like, yeah, well, that that's not my biggest the service time is is all you can you can play with service time. But this do you know how much it would be per club per month? $300,000. That is a drop in the bucket. Uh, you have to pay these guys because what do you, you're now going to expect them to just, you're going to snap their fingers and next year they're just going to come back. Shouldn't they be working out now? Well, that's what I thought. Aren't they going to have them where like the double A AA and triple A guys are kind of scrimmaging against each other? I mean, you're going to have to have people to be able oh. to bring up when guys get hurt. The, yes, they will... may have expanded benches and stuff when they do come back, but. There are injuries in baseball in a regular season, in a short season where there hasn't been regular prep time. You're going to see injuries, and you're going to see the depth of some of these teams tested. All I saw was today was the Oakland A's said they're not paying their minor leaguers this season. Which is just a terrible, terrible precedent. I'm not suggesting to... they shouldn't pay all the concession people and all those people. They should. But if they have the money for that, shouldn't you also have it for the actual players that are going to make up the future of your league? Do you really end. want to put them to the point that they need to that they they will be destitute? I mean, these guys dedicate so much time and sacrifice so much to to do this game and get paid so little. I mean, look, we've been we've been to minor league stadiums where the people in the concessions make as much as the some of the ball players that are on the field. If you're not a top a top three or four round pick, you're getting virtually nothing. 
it's okay, but like let's get to like like let's cut to the end of this. They're right. gonna have to come up with a deal, right? They can't be the only league that fights over millions of dollars while hockey and sure basketball are back sure on the court can. and the ice, can they? Uh, look, you know I don't want that to happen, but sure they can. That would that would hurt baseball so much worse in the long run than just playing under this. These guys aren't that foolish. I can't. I refuse to believe that they can be that foolish. Okay, fine. I I hope they're not that foolish, but I know that they can be. Is this and I, is this and, the young me being it, naive? Is that what's going on here? Yes, because right you because you really <laughs> didn't live through any of the labor strikes before. No, I did. I lived through ninety five, ninety four, ninety five because uh, my my dad stopped watching. Yeah, how old were you? Me now, I'm 41. No, no, then so, you were a teenager. Yeah, I, I yeah, was a huge fan at that point. You might have been smart, but you didn't really t- know. You didn't understand economics when you're. I didn't understand you're the economics. But what I understood, your... what I understood was my dad, who was a fan who I used to go to, didn't mm-hmm. want to go to games anymore because he didn't want to go see the rich people fight over money, and yeah. that was something that actually. So now happened. the rich so, people are fighting over money at a time that is much worse than that time. It's a bad look. Even and, if and they're the, all right for what they're doing, and I'm not taking a side on it for purposes of this conversation, it's a bad PR look right now when you got, what, 30-plus million, 40 million people on unemployment, people who can't get it, people worrying about their next check. <laughs> you guys are saying, nope, I won't take $5 million. Nope, not going to do that. Yeah, I, I just don't understand. Look, you know every team has PR people, and, and although, unfortunately, the PR people are usually not included in the negotiations of labor deals. And they should be because those are the smartest people in the room because they will sit there and they understand the fans. They understand what keeps the game alive. And they need to get in a room and say to both sides, look, you really got to stop this. The fact is you're going to kill the game. And here's how the rest of the world looks at you. While you live in your bubble, in your big, big houses, you're not understanding what's going on with the rest. And, and look, some of them are doing great work with charities, but they still don't understand how people react to the things that they are doing. I'm going to let that be the last word on the actual sports for our first bite-sized show. Jeff, give a little tease for our Friday show on 610 ESPN at 4 p.m. Well, you already gave the Todd Zalecki tease. Uh, who knows who might show up but we do know who else is showing up which is charlie o'connor from the athletic is coming back on the show to talk about the league that has figured it out and appears ready to go back and is going to start which is the nhl so we're going to talk flyers who are top four seed in this proposal and whether the flyers have a chance and how this is all going to work i can't wait for it i hope people join us friday at 4 p.m jeff uh, i hope everybody helps us come up with a name for this from our, our little home studios that we're doing. Let's uh, let's keep talking sports, okay? Sounds good. All right, have a good one, everybody.